1: The Zion, the the Zion, for the trumpeting triumph, no on the ground,
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Remnant Call. Glad you're here tonight, and we've got our favorite guest back of all time, Brother Benjamin Baruch, and uh, we're just looking forward to what he's got to talk about tonight. Um, Just a little word, if you didn't catch last week's show with Dr. Michael Lake on um, artificial intelligence, and strong delusion, Uh, it's, it's one of those, really I encourage you to go listen because not only is the artificial intelligence, a part of this massive beast system out there, it is the enemy's way into your mind through your electronics, through whatever it is. And talks a lot about what it means to have the mind of Christ. Um, We need to be very careful as we move forward in everything we're listening and doing, and uh, Dr. Lake did a great job with that, and I just encourage everybody to check out last week's show. It was excellent, and uh, just a real blessing to me also, Um, but I am really happy because it's been a while since Brother Benjamin's been on, so I'm going to bring him on right now for tonight's show, Tipping Point. That's the name of the program. Brother Benjamin, are you here with us?
2: Hey, good evening, Frank.
0: Hey man, brother! It's glad to have you back. It's been uh, a little while, maybe a month or so, or more. Uh, Seems
2: like something like that. Yeah. uh,
0: Yeah. If I don't have you back on soon, they're going to start saying, "Where's Benjamin?" Uh, So hey, I got
2: raptured (laughs) (laughs) or captured, something (laughs) like that.
0: Yeah, I thought you flew up. Uh, Anyways, I'm not going to go there. flat Earth. Anyways, (laughs) uh, uh, but praise Lord. He fell off the flat yeah, the edge. Anyways, praise God. I'm you know, folks, if you don't laugh sometimes you'll cry because it's that kind of a world we're living in. Benjamin, um, I'm just gonna ask, could you just open us up with a with a word of uh with a word of prayer because we were talking earlier, I mean, there's so so much going on and um Benjamin, if you could just ask the Lord to just bless this show tonight.
2: Amen, amen. We definitely we need help.
0: Amen. Hallelujah,
2: and and our God is an ever-present help in time of need. Amen. Meeting. And Lord, we bless you tonight. Lord, we thank you. It's a somber hour. It's a it's a perilous time that has come. And and Lord, those of us that have been carrying the the message, many of us have grown weary over the years of hard labor. Lord, I pray for a a refreshing wind to come and to bring forth the spirit of truth. And Lord, in in ourselves, we have nothing. We can do nothing apart from you. All the best we can do is wood, hay, and stubble, and there is a fire coming soon that is going to burn all the works of the flesh up. Those that invested in the things of the flesh will suffer great loss. Lord, we look to you tonight to quicken our spirits and to bring forth a real word of truth for your remnant, Lord. Amen. Speak to the little remnant that gathers in the wilderness to hear the word of God. And we pray, Lord, your, your word of truth will come forth by your power. So we consecrate this time to you, Lord Jesus. We consecrate this time to you, and in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Benjamin, Tipping Point um, is the name of the program. Um, that came from an article that you had written uh, that you shared uh, some of it with me. Uh, Benjamin, you know, we were just talking earlier, you know, there is so much going on. The government shutdown, economic instability. I was just watching the literally the the U.S. debt clock, and it's going so fast you can't count as fast as it's moving up. You just watch it in real time, and knowing that doesn't even count all the unfunded liabilities that are out there, which is, you know, like quadruple what the debt really is, and all the threats of Russia and China and everything going out. Uh, I can see why you wrote this article. Benjamin, just share with us tonight what the Lord has put on your heart um, with where we well, are at right hallelujah,
2: brother. <clears throat> yeah, that piece I, that I forwarded to you is really some excerpts from uh, around, well, I'd say maybe about 30 or 40 pages that I've written as updates to the book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. And, you know, to those of our listening audience that have read the book... Um, if you're on the mailing list, you should have received the updates. I attempted to forward them to everybody uh, so that you could, you know, um, have part taking or have a part in reading uh, the, the evolution of the book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. And for those of you that read the book, if you recall, um, the book was published in 2014, and at that time I would circled 2018 as a... A likely year, you um, know, for the beginning of the fulfillment of these things, and for what could have been, or could be, the the Great War. Well, as many of you know, I've got some very vocal critics and uh, scorners and mockers out there, and and um, you know, because I ventured to pull forth a date. A you know, little people would argue that uh, everything that I've taught in the last 20 years is is now somehow invalid because it, um, it's going to turn out I was off by a year or two in the timing of World War III. Okay, well, great. Um, in my attempt to to appoint the time or discern the timing for the prophecies, uh, was never intended as a prophecy. Probably just reasoning through the unveiling of these sealed mysteries. And, you know, this is a generation of people that, you know, what can you say about this generation, really? And, um, you know, there's never been a generation like this generation. You know, these people take the cake. I mean, they, you could take the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You could take the generation of Noah's era you could multiply them together and I don't think you would reach the level of arrogant pride, audacity and, and critical minded thinking of this last and final generation you know these are a simple minded yet arrogant people you know these are people that don't listen carefully they don't think critically and yet they're convinced they know everything because they can regurgitate the propaganda out of Babylon you know, and you choose the flavor of your poison, do you like the blue Kool-Aid or the red Kool-Aid? But anyway, you know, the truth is about to be revealed, and, and, you know, I did catch a lot of flack for the fact that over the years I have attempted to circle, if you will, the timing for the beginning of the Day of the Lord, the timing for the judgment of America Babylon, and, and my early attempts going all the way back 20 years ago to 1998, uh, were, were off. And, you know, the Scripture presents the challenge as a prophetic riddle that's hidden within the prophecies of the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 50, verse 44, you know, the Lord speaks of the coming of the Antichrist. And, and the Scripture reads, Behold, he, the enemy of America and the enemies of the people of God, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of the Jordan, you know, which means the Great War is going to start in the Middle East with the swelling of the Jordan, a picture of crisis in the land of Israel, unto the habitation of the strong, which is the United States, the daughter of Babylon, the, you know, the principal actor and context of the prophecies of Jeremiah 15 and 51. And then the Lord reveals to us, He is going to intervene at some point in the great war that's coming, in, in verse 44, he says, But I, the Lord, will make them, the enemies of America and Israel, suddenly run away from her, from America. And who is a chosen man? Who is a chosen one that I may appoint over her, over America? So, you know, following the great war, we will have a dramatic loss in population, And, um, you know, any estimate of that would be a guess, but I would venture to guess that the, you know, the population loss will be approximately, uh, just to use round numbers, let's say 300 million. So, you know, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's 250 million, but there's going to be a lot of people leaving. A lot of mockers and a lot of scoffers and a lot of liars and a lot of the wicked among us are going to be removed And at the same time, the Lord said, I will protect that which is mine. You know, the the afflicted and humble little remnant is going to be saved. And the people whose hearts had the love of the truth in them, but who had been deceived by the propaganda, they too will be protected by the Lord. And, And a great revival, a time of a great harvest will come. And the Lord mentions, you know, there's a chosen one that he's going to appoint. There's a new government coming. You know, the official government today, which is literally going insane right before our eyes. You know, to segue for a moment on the insanity of our times, I heard a news report, Frank. You probably heard this as well. The Democrat-controlled Congress, the House of Representatives, has um, re- withdrawn the invitation to the president to deliver the State of the Union address to Congress. Telling President Trump he's not welcome in the House of Representatives, and he can deliver the State of the Union address from the Oval Office if he would like. I mean, unprecedented for one branch of our government to insult the other branch. And, you know, if that's not a, you know, the, the current political battles that are occurring in our country, which are unprecedented, if they're not a, a witness of the tipping point, and a witness of the prophecy in Jeremiah, where, you know, ruler against ruler. And a lot of people interpreted that to mean a literal civil war, and it may it may ultimately escalate to that level, but today we're dealing with ruler fighting ruler. Well, all of these knuckleheads apparently are going to be removed because the Lord is going to appoint a governor, a new governor's coming, and it's going to be a democratic election, And it will be a unanimous landslide victory um, because the person elected as governor is going to get one vote. That vote will be cast by Jesus Christ, and that's the end of the election. Kind of like the ultimate electoral college. (laughs) The Lord will decide. And, you know, he says, and who is like me? And who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before my very face? And so, you know, within this prophecy, there is the prophetic riddle. A question has been thrown or, you know, has been written into the text. Who will appoint the time for the great war, for the fall of America Babylon? And as we know from the prophetic writings, it's the, the plucking of the eagle's wings in Daniel chapter 7 that begins the events of the Great Tribulation. It's the releasing of the red horse of war the second of the seals breaking, and the black horse follows immediately. This war is going to go down, well, in one hour, really. The finality of the war will be fought in an hour, and immediately thereafter, world famine, world economic collapse, and the black horse will follow, and then the fourth horse, death and hell and Hades following with him. And So this thing's going to be a tipping point in which the world suddenly changes forever, You know, we live in the days of ease, and they're going to be over. There'll be nothing easy about the post-war era, but the Lord had asked the prophetic riddle, or appointed a prophetic riddle within this text of Scripture, who will appoint me the time? And that word is Yaad in Hebrew, and it literally means to set an appointment, or to summon to a trial, or to appoint or discern a timing. And, you know, it's not a question of who will receive this prophetic revelation. God didn't say, who will I reveal this to prophetically? This is literally a question of who's going to discern this timing. And, of course, the timing of the beginning of the judgment of God is the subject matter of the parable of the fig tree, where Jesus told us, and he actually commanded us, when he said, go and learn or study the parable of the fig tree. And Jesus taught many parables, 40 of which are recorded in Scripture. This is the only parable that we were assigned as homework. And I checked uh, from time to time as I toured around the nation, speaking in various locations, and I would ask you know, different groups of people over a period of several years, how many people did the homework and diligently studied this parable? Frank, I have yet to see one person raise their hand. You know, we really ought to, like, look in the mirror and, you know, and ask ourselves some serious questions. Why do we, as a generation of people, simply disregard the word of the Lord? What are we thinking? That we could disregard the commandments from heaven. I don't know what we're thinking, but whatever we're thinking, it's stinking. Because if we're not obeying diligently the commandments of God, we are on the wrong page. And yet this is a generation that is doing what is right in their own eyes and completely disregarding the Word of God at the same time and oblivious to the incredible contradiction that that represents and at the same time convinced that everything is right and, and everything's okay. I mean, it's the ultimate of deception, but yet that's the age in which we live. But, but back to the the riddle that's in the prophecies, the Lord literally commanded us, go and learn the meaning of this parable. And, of course, the parable is the fig tree, which is the rebirth of the state of Israel. And, you know, we know from Psalm 49 that the the key to unlock a, a parable is hidden somewhere in the Psalms. And we know the answer, the, the key to interpreting the parable of the fig tree is in Psalm 90, which deals with The Return of the Lord, it was written by Moses, the only psalm Moses wrote. And in it, Moses asked the question, Return, O Lord, how long? How the Jews cannot understand that the Lord's already been here once, and that now he's returning, right? I don't know, but they they miss that detail for the most part. Now, there are certain Israelis who, who actually know the Lord. Okay, there's a true remnant for the most part, the fact that Moses is asking the question, when are you going to return, Lord? And asks us, you know, to grant us the wisdom that we might apply our hearts to understanding and wisdom that we could discern and study and learn the meaning of the parable. And then he tells us the answer, or at least part of the answer, which is the generation of the end time state of Israel would last 70 years and then if by reason of strength it would be 80 years. But we are soon cut off and we fly away, and that would be the events of the Great War, which will no doubt, no doubt bring devastating population losses to the state of Israel as well. Um, you know, my best estimate is Israel would lose, or will lose, approximately 30% of their population. You know, two-thirds will pass through the fire, a third are going to be cut off in the Great War. For the United States, it's three times as bad. Ninety percent plus will be killed it's in the great war. Left. Pardon me.
0: It's a tithe left, pretty much.
2: There'll a, be a, a tithe.
0: tithe. Ten percent. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Ten percent will remain, and you know, here the Lord is asking, you know, who will discern the timing of this? Well, clearly, the answer is somehow related to the seventy years of the life of Israel and the eighty years of the time of trouble. And and the question in Psalm 90, if if by reason of strength, the word in the text is gebarim, it's the same word used for the 144,000. If the mighty ones come, the nation will survive. And so, you know, in my early work on trying to discern the full meaning of the parable, you know, I understood the 70 years had, had relevance. And, you know, if we go all the way back to 1996 when I got translated into the future and the Lord just blew my life up and began to blow my mind by unveiling all these prophecies, you know, I began to see the deliverance plan in the Scripture. And, you know, I lost my job and suddenly God's got me writing this book. And, you know, I went from being a a money manager on Wall Street to teaching about Bible prophecy, which was never on my career path, but but was on the path the Lord had chosen for me. And, you know, and I, I began to um, work on the meaning of the parable, I understood the 70 years was the key. How the 80 years fits in is a little, you know, that part's not entirely clear. And what's the reference to the, the mighty ones, to the strength, you know, to the gabarim? You know, if by reason of strength that will, or if by reason of the mighty ones who will come down... Does the nation get delivered after 70 years by the birth of the 144,000? That was my initial understanding into this. And as I looked at the timing, we were told in the book of Haggai, watch the 24th day of the ninth month. That's the day the cornerstone of the temple was laid, both the first temple and the second temple. And we were told, watch that date. That's the date the Lord's going to begin to rebuild the nation. And sure enough, General Allenby, In December of 1917, conquered Jerusalem, and the British Empire took control of the the Holy Land away from the Ottoman Empire. And a month earlier, the British government issued the Balfour Declaration, saying that the British crown was disposed to or was willing to lend support to the idea of recreating a Jewish homeland in the land of ancient Israel. And so the land had opened up. And 30 years later, the state stood up for the first time. The mature state of Israel stood up among the nations. And 50 years later, Jerusalem was recovered. And 70 years later, in 1987, the Intifada Rebellion began. The time of trouble began. And so, you know, from circa 1996... It was looking like we were on the verge of these events. You know, and the Lord's telling me the days of ease are ending soon. Warn the people. You know, and i would just been translated into the future. I saw, I didn't just see, I lived, I, I got to live through the experience of an American Christian being arrested and taken to Auschwitz. Okay? It's a big, upsetting situation. Trust me. It's a very bad day when you end up on a train to Auschwitz. And, um, you know, quite candidly, it changed my life. I had no idea we would have 23 more years. You know, God wanted an urgency in me. And, um, you know, even as Jeremiah preached for 23 years before the judgment came, you know, if the judgment comes next fall, it'll have been 23 years from when the Lord showed me the future to when it will come to pass. But as I reason through you know this question, what is the appointment? Who will discern the meaning of this time? Who is going to issue the legal summons demanding that the woman Babylon appear in the courtroom of heaven for her time of judgment? Originally, I was wrong in the sense of, you know, I thought these things would happen far sooner. And as the Bible prophecy slowly began to move forward, I began to, you know, discern, okay, well, what part of this did we miss? Well, General Allenby's conquering of Jerusalem in 1917 was clearly not the starting point for the beginning of the nation of Israel, although it lined up perfectly with, as I mentioned, 30, 50, 70 years all fit exactly massive historic events with respect to the state. So perhaps it was supposed to appear that way at that time. But clearly that 1917 starting point had to be abandoned. By 2007, we were into the 80th year. And the end of the 80s, I guess, would have been 2017, 2018. We're at the very end of the timeline, if you start in, 20, in 1917, 1918. And you get into complexities such as, well, God's prophetic calendar is not really using the Gregorian calendar. He's using the biblical calendar. He's using his calendar. And, and is he using a, the spiritual calendar that starts in the, the spring with the month of Nisan and Passover as the first feat? feast day or are we using the civil calendar with Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets in the fall and you know there's a lot of detail to try to put the the Rubik's Cube together if you will but it became apparent to me that uh, we really should be using the beginning of the state statehood in 1948 more as a benchmark and you know it's interesting that the people of Israel declared independence. The, the temporal or the provisional government of Israel declared independence in 1948, but the war was actually fought over a couple-year period. The first election of an official government in Israel did not occur until 1949, in April of 1949. And, and shortly thereafter, the United States government formally recognized the state of israel is having a legitimate government and being a legitimate state so might we start the count from 1949 and you know herein is the challenge with this calculation is you know we're left to make certain assumptions and those assumptions can ultimately be revised and you know at that point all the mockers and scoffers are going to start screaming false prophet false prophet even though none of this is a prophecy you know it's you know, and in my case, because I actually heard the Word of God, and I can repeat to you some things the Lord actually said, you know, suddenly anything I say becomes a prophecy. Well, I'm first of all, I'm not even a prophet, you guys, okay? And I don't try to prophesy, I mean, I don't. You know, I don't give up personal prophecy. Don't write me an email and ask for a word from God. You know, that's not what I do, okay? God's not going to talk to me about your life anyway, you know? I mean, that's between you and the Lord, you know? He just very rarely says anything about anybody. Um, look at the prophetic witness in Scripture. How often did any of the true prophets ever deliver a personal word to anybody? I mean, it happened, but normally it was to the king or to a high priest, Or right? I mean, you know, there were the few exceptions, Elijah talking to the widow, but you get my point. But in any event, so if we're back to our inquiry, you know, if we assume that 1948-1949 are the proper time period for the birth of the nation. And I think that's that's probably a reasonable assumption that Israel became a state again in one of those years. And, you know, May 48 would fall within the civil calendar that ended in September of 48. It would fall in the spiritual calendar that ended in the spring of 49. So we would begin counting from that event either counting from the fall of 48 or counting from the spring of 49. Most of the judgments that relate to a secular state, such as the judgment in ancient Babylon, seem to all be fulfilled using the civil calendar, which is really the calendar for the civil or secular state, whereas the spiritual calendar seems to be more the appropriate timepiece for measuring the timing of spiritual events and so, you know, I think we're really looking at the civil calendar. And so where would we start counting? You know, the, the, let's say, you know, just for sake of a, assumption, 1948. If we had 70 years, then the 70th year would be the fall of 2018. Well, that has come and gone. We're now in the winter. Well, the text also said if by reason of strength, the state would last 80 years. That would take us to 2028. 20, and we know from Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that following the Great War, the weapons are burned for seven years. So if we take 2028 as the outside date for the, you know, for the fulfillment of all these things, and Jesus said the generation that sees the state of Israel reborn, sees the fig tree put forth its leaves, would see the fulfillment of all things. So that would include the second coming, you guys. And I'm not trying to tell you the day or the hour, okay, so don't. Don't write me hate mail that, you know, Benjamin tried to tell us the day or the hour. I will literally never do that, okay? Even at the end of the Great Tribulation, when we've been counting the days since the abomination of desolation, and we're in the wilderness during the time of darkness, and we literally, the sign of the Son of Man appears in the heavens, and we're entering into the final fall feast period, I'm still not going to try to tell you the day or the hour because no one's going to know. But we'll, we'll be pretty good guess that we're down to like a week or two. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, the scripture means exactly what it says, you guys. It doesn't mean no one will know anything about anything, which is the way people interpret. No one knows the day or the hour, therefore no one can know anything at all. No, that's not what he said. He commanded us to study Bible prophecy because we would learn things. We were told to diligently study these things because we would gain insight and understanding and knowledge. And... You know, it's kind of amazing because, you know, the the idea of discerning the timing of the judgment through careful study and meditation on the parable really never occurred to anybody. Of course, the people never did the homework anyway. Why should they know anything about this matter? All they know how to do is scorn and mock. But, you know, the truth, the truth revealed is that these prophecies that were hidden within the Psalms, that were hidden within this parable, like the very words of God, would ultimately be purified over time. Just like the word of the Lord is purified. You know, Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. Well, amen. As silver tried in a furnace of, fu- of the earth or a furnace of fire, they are purified seven times. What? God's Word gets purified? But I thought God's Word was pure. Well, that's why God's Word is pure, is it's been purified. Well, what was wrong with the Lord's Word? Was there a problem with the Word of the Lord? Well, not from God's perspective, no. But there was a problem on the receiving end. We, see, we tend to get our fingerprints all over it. It's kind of like, you know, when you give your little children something, it doesn't take them long, right? And it needs to be, you need to do a little cleanup. Well, apparently the same thing happened with the Word of God, and it needs to be purified. In a similar sense, the insight into this prophecy has been purified over time. I don't think the Lord wanted us to know that we had at least 20 more years back in 1998 he sure didn't want me to know he was giving me dreams I mean I saw the nuclear strike on the country you know in the summer of 2001 I saw our country attacked by United and American Airlines and and then I saw the nuclear war I saw Southern California annihilated covered in mushroom clouds and and I, I watched the fallout come down out of the sky and I was catching it in my hands, and I ran around telling everybody we're about to be attacked by United and American Airlines. And six weeks later, boom, my phone began to ring off the hook on September 11th. As United, you know, I remember people calling me up, there's going to be four planes, right? Yep, there sure are. And bang, one after another, they came. Two from United, two from American. You know, that was fulfilled. That, that, I saw that in a dream. That was fulfilled within weeks. But the nuclear strike on Southern California, that hasn't even happened yet. What I saw was the beginning and the ending of the war. But we're back to the question of what is the timing? Where are we at in the, in the timing of these things? So if we assume 1948 is the beginning of the countdown, 80 years, and if we assume the 80 years represents the absolute outside benchmark of uh, one would roll, if you roll back seven years, that would put the world war at no later than 2021. And that would be roughly three years from now. The war will take place in the fall during the season of harvest. That is in the scriptures, in Jeremiah 1551. It's also in the scriptures, in other parts of the text, in Isaiah. The war comes in the fall. All great wars begin in the fall, and there's reasons for that that have to do with the economic cycle. There's reasons that have to do with the condition of the earth and the ability to move armies efficiently. The great war will come in the fall.
0: Benjamin, it's interesting about the, when you talk about Ezekiel 39 and the seven years of burning, that is obviously, is following some type of biological, whether it's nuclear, biological, whatever, because following that, they are going to be searching through, burying the bones, and you're not even supposed to touch them. Just put a sign up beside them for the barriers to come by. It it's, it's, sounds like contamination. There's something, well, you I know, mean, some of
2: the radiation, so, Frank, can actually be absorbed into the bones. Hmm. And the bones could be radioactive with strontium ninety emanations and other radioactive elements but it could be bio but yeah absolutely the the aftermath of the war will be a nuclear and biological hazard apparently you're right, absolutely right yeah. i mean israel 39, will bury the weapons for seven years yeah yeah now some people would argue well that seven years could spread over into the millennium okay fine whatever you know uh, but that's not really... you know, The first three years of the millennium are not going to involve uh, nuclear decontamination of the state of Israel. The millennium is... Uh, well, when the Lord comes back, he's going to have made all things new. But So if we roll back seven years, that would put the outside date of the war at 2021. And um, when you look at the condition of the world right now, and we've done prior programs on the 70-year reign of America Babylon, and, you know, it's fascinating how... Um, America came to power as the world's modern superpower in ni- you know, the post-war era, 47, 48, 49. The signing of the NATO treaty in April of 49 was you know, basically the event that crowned America. And you know, if we begin counting the fulfillment of 70 years of reign from, from the fall civil calendar of Israel... If we roll forward 70 years, we would end up in 2019. And, you know, if we assume that the event of the 70th year could take place any time during the year, then, you know, theoretically, the, the Great War could occur as late as the fall of 2020. That being, you know, by... By the anniversary of uh, this fall civil year, America would have ruled for 71 full years. But during that entire year, America is 70 years old. You know, think about you having your 70th birthday. Okay, the day after your 70th birthday, if somebody asks you how old are you, you say I'm 70. You don't say I'm 70 and one three hundred and sixty-fifth. Or like we all did when we were little kids, how old are you? I'm eight and a half. You know. We stopped counting halves somewhere around the teenage years, I think. But my point being that the rule of America and the fall of America after 70 years could occur any time during that 12-month window. And in that context, that would put the Great War actually no later than 2020, whereas the, the life of the generation of the state of Israel... According to the parable of the fig tree and according to the, the length of the generation in Psalm 90, that would pretend or project the Great War no later than 2021. I'm not saying it's going to happen in 2021, just that 2021 would be the latest date wherein all events could be fulfilled within the 80th year of 2028. So the 70 year reign of Babylon would push us forward a year to 2020. And then we get the question of the birth of the man child, which is the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 regarding the second coming of the Lord in the man child company, which will occur seven weeks, 49 years, following a second command to restore the city of Jerusalem at the end of the age. And know, the commandment to restore or rebuild the Holy City at the end of the age was actually issued by the Knesset following the recapture of the Holy City, which we today call the Old City of Jerusalem, in the Six-Day War in 1967. You know, prior to that time, the Holy City was actually under Jordanian rule. And so when Israel reconquered the Holy City of Jerusalem, in 1967, the Knesset actually established the company for the reconstruction and development of the Holy City of Jerusalem in April of 1969. And we know from the prophecy that these seven weeks are really the compass of time between the events of the Jubilee year and the 62-week prophecy represents the compass of time from the commandment of Artaxerxes until the very birth of Jesus Christ, which occurred in the year 2 B.C., according to Isaac Newton. Artaxerxes' commandment was issued in the year 444 B.C., and there's dispute by experts on, you know, these ancient dates, but that is the most commonly circled date. That was the date that Isaac Newton thought was correct, and he spent his lifetime studying this prophecy. And, you know, I'm sure all of us have heard of Isaac Newton considered to be perhaps one of the smartest people to have lived in the modern era. He devoted his life to the understanding of the prophecies of Daniel and the book of Revelation. He published one book in, in his life. It was actually published after his death by his family in 1793 in London. The observations on the prophecies of Daniel and the revelation must, of St. John. Must
0: read book. Must read book.
2: And in it, you know, and honestly, uh, Newton, Newton got it right, because he understood that the 62 weeks and the 7 weeks represented separate prophetic time periods, that you didn't just add them together, you know, which all the modern scholars, you know, this, this generation is something else, because they pretty much make an error out of everything they touch. You know, that's not an exaggeration. It, it's almost whatever they touched they've, they've messed up. But Newton understood clearly that the two were separated, which is exactly what the Lord told me. And he also understood that every 49 years you had to add a jubilee. And that was a count of 50 years. Now, you know, a certain group of men have decided that the jubilee becomes the first year of the next series, and so Israel only counts 49 years, and they count 49 again, and... But the commandment was that every seven years is a Sabbath year, and that Israel would till the land for six years, and then the land would lay fallow during the seventh Sabbath year, and during the Jubilee year, the land would lay fallow for two years. And so, if the Jubilee was the first year of the next series of seven, Israel would only till the land for five. Yet the commandment was six. So, the Jubilee is a, sec- a separate 50th year, even as the Feast of Weeks, which is the feast day. The, the, the Feast of the Spring that counts from the Feast of First Fruit following the Passover. We count what is known as the Counting of the Omer, which is the seven weeks or the 49 days following the, the Sabbath after Passover. And then we have what we call Shavuot in Hebrew. The Gentiles call it Pentecost. The number in Greek means the 50th day. And so that was the day that the Holy Spirit came down and the apostles were anointed, it's the same day that the Lord himself came down and visited Moses, and the mountain burned, and it's a picture of the Lord coming down after the feast, after the seven weeks prophecy, in the man-child, and the earth will tremble before the presence of the mighty one. But it occurs on the 50th year. So, if we take 62 weeks from Artaxerxes' commandment, commissioning Nehemiah to begin the reconstruction of Jerusalem in the time of Ezra the prophet, which is 434 years, and we add the eight jubilees that would be included within the 400-year period, we get 442. The commandment was at 444 B.C. That takes you to the year 2 B.C., the year in which Christ was born. Bless you, Lord. And so the seven weeks would represent a similar compass of time of 50 years when we count the missing jubilee. And so we would go from the Knesset section in 1969. We would add 50 years. And we would find the birth of the man-child to occur in 2019. Now, the birth of the man-child can occur before the Great War. And, you know, I find it quite interesting that the picture or the prophetic sign of Revelation 12, which is the woman... Clothed with the sun, with 12 stars as a crown, standing on the moon, pregnant with the planet Jupiter, appeared in the heavens in 2017. And she was literally pregnant with Jupiter in retrograde motion for nine months. And she gave birth the planet Jupiter, which represents the king, the king planet, literally passed through her loins. She gave birth to the king on Rosh Hashanah, 2017, and you know, we know from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, that the star of Bethlehem was in the heavens for two years, heralding the coming of the king of kings in his first visitation of the earth, when he was born in the natural, in the city of Bethlehem. And now, the same two-year witness in the stars, only this time for the birth of the king, supernaturally, being born again as God Almighty in the spirit, in the lives of 144,000 sanctified remnant warriors, who would then fulfill or walk out in their lives the second half of the seven-year ministry of Jesus Christ, this time coming as the lion from the tribe of Judah. And What is really mind-blowing, aside from the fact that the prophetic picture in the stars in 2017 would seem to confirm a birth of the man-child within two years, or in 2019, which is the very count that you would expect from the prophetic writings in Daniel, what is even more astonishing than that fact is the fact that 99% of the Christian Church does not know what I'm even talking about. I'd mention to them, Jesus has a seven-year ministry, and they look at me like, huh? they look at me like a cow looks at a new gate. What on earth are you talking about? Well, he will confirm the covenant with the many for seven years. It's right in Daniel 9, verse 27. Oh, no, no, that's just the Antichrist. It, how do you know it's just the Antichrist? It says he. It doesn't say the prince of the people who shall come, the reference to the Antichrist, that they would come, the Romans would come and destroy the temple. No, it doesn't tell you who it's referring to, whether it's the Messiah, the prince, or the other prince, the Antichrist. And the fact of the matter is, Bible prophecy is fulfilled twice. I don't know why everybody keeps flunking that question as well, but the Antichrist is merely a counterfeiter. Everything he does is simply a counterfeit of the ministry of the true Messiah. So, the true Messiah has a seven-year ministry in the earth. His job is to confirm the covenant. He fulfills it. He, pr- he does all the things required of the covenant. You know, the, the covenant of our salvation was actually a deal that was made between Father God and Jesus Christ. Guys, our names are not on that document. That deal was cut in blood between Jesus and his Father. We are merely his reward. It gives him the right to save us. By confirming and fulfilling the requirements of the covenant of our salvation, the covenant of faith, Jesus Christ obtained, he earned the reward of the legal right to save his people. Amen. That's why he did this. We're merely the little prize, you guys. We're the jewels Mm -hmm. in his hand. We had nothing to do with our salvation. God saved us. And Jesus, in fulfilling the covenant promise of God Almighty, which he gave to Abraham and all of his descendants, including all who would be born again in the Spirit, it would be fulfilled by the Messiah, who came himself as a man 2,000 years ago in perfect fulfillment after 62 weeks. Only when he came as a man, he came as a servant. He didn't come as a prince. When people met Jesus, they didn't know he was the king of kings. They didn't know he was Lord God Almighty. They didn't know he was the Messiah. They thought he was some guy from Nazareth. All right, if you spent much time with Jesus, it became obvious he was a profound teacher of the Word of God. I mean, at the age of 12, they were blown away in the temple. But still, he asked the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, Jesus came from the other side of the tracks, you guys. He didn't come from the rich neighborhood. He came from the down-and-out part, okay? Okay. And even in his own town, nobody received him. They didn't know the king was among them. But in the second coming, when he comes into the life of the 144,000, when he comes upon them in the fullness of the Holy Spirit without measure, when he inhabits the vessels of his indignation, the vessels of his The weapons of war that he has formed. He comes as the Lion of Judah. He came the first time as a man. He's coming the second time as God Almighty. Let me tell you, the greater works ministry is ready to begin. And so the women who are the true people of God, they're in travail. The remnant are in travail. And the signs in the heavens would point to, perfectly, the fulfillment birth of the man-child in the fall of 2019. So, okay, let's just assume for a moment that that's real, that the man-child's going to be born. You know, we just passed through Hanukkah, for those of you who understand that we were actually on the alternative calendar. We, this was a leap year in the spirit because of the corn being, the corn was not a back in Passover of last year. So, you know, we've been in a leap year. All of 2018, we're still in a leap year till we catch up with the spring holy days in, in the coming um, April, March window. But that pushes Hanukkah, that pushed Hanukkah all the way back to January 1st. So, has the conception occurred? Is the woman now pregnant? Is the birth going to happen in the seventh month? <laughs> Or, or the ninth month of this year? The seventh month of the calendar? We shall see. But the sign in the heavens portended as well. 2019 would be the year that he's born again in the Spirit. Now, when Jesus was born the first time in Bethlehem, did the nation know the king had just come? Did the religious leaders all run down to Bethlehem to greet the Mighty One? No. No who knew aside from Mary and Joseph okay and a, a, a few shepherds
0: two two people Anna and then Simeon in the temple too
2: they were it was revealed unto them but yep. they maybe didn't know the night he was born it was shown to them when he when he was presented in the temple eight days later yes the night that the Lord was born the only people that were looking for him were the three kings and they weren't even from Israel the wise men that had seen it in the stars. And they told Herod, you know, when he asked, how long has this sign been in the heavens? They said, for two years. They were waiting for two years, and then he was born. Well, the Revelation 12 sign will have been in the heavens this coming fall for two years. So let's assume that this is accurate. The man-child is going to be born in the fall of 2019. Will everybody immediately notice? Will the man-child immediately be revealed? No, not necessarily. What will happen, as soon as the man-child is born, the woman will have to flee. The worldwide persecution will begin. Because the man-child is translated into heaven. Literally. The 144,000 will become born again totally. As part of that process, they will be translated into heaven, and they will appear before the throne of the Lord, and they will be given their instructions. And then the scripture says, Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. And they'll come down. Only now the life of Jesus will be fully manifest in them. Hallelujah. What happens immediately at the birth of the man-child is the persecution. The woman has to flee to the wilderness, where she will be nourished for 1,260 days, for three and a half years, right? And, you know, I had a dear uh, friend in, in... the faith the, even asked me today, well, does that mean that there's only three and a half years left? Because, you know, once the woman gets to the wilderness, she's protected and, and, and her needs are tended to for three and a half years. So as soon as the woman flees, does she instantly end up in the wilderness a nanosecond later? Is she translated to the wilderness? Or does she take a, you know... Does she take a commercial airline flight to the wilderness, the wings of an eagle? Or is there now a period of time of great persecution, but the world has not yet entered the Great Tribulation? Could we we face the Great War in the final seven years of history? And could the people of God be under persecution? And could there be a a three-and-a-half-year period where the remnant of the Lord actually make their way into the wilderness? And could the man-child be revealed three and a half years later? You know, Jesus says, you know, that the great tribulation will start when we see the abomination of desolation. That's in Matthew 24. In Luke 17, he makes a similar reference to the day for the beginning of the great tribulation, only he says, on the day when the Son of Man is revealed in his people. That's the unveiling of the the manchild company. So could it be that the manchild is born and for a period of time they're not yet revealed even as Jesus was born but not yet revealed? Perhaps. And it's astonishing how much we don't know about these things. But what we do know is the day is drawing near. We know that America's 70-year reign is is rapidly coming to an end. And our country is absolutely entering into a season of total chaos. We know that the economic system, you know, is is literally staggering like a drunk man under the weight of 20 trillion dollars of debt. And and maybe that number is a lie. Almost everything we're being told today is a is some form of a lie. You know, the by every measure you look at the world, the world is at the tipping point. You know, and in the proverbs in Proverbs chapter one, verse seventeen, the proverb reads: "Surely in vain a net is spread in the sight of a bird." You know, if you're going to put out a snare, you're going to put out a trap. You don't let the animal you're planning to trap see what you're doing; they'll never step into the trap. And so, the trap that is being laid or being set for the people of the earth. They're not being shown the snare. The world is entering the tripping point, or the tipping point, or the snaring point. But yet most people are continuing as if nothing has fundamentally changed. Yet we know a global ecosystem collapse is already occurring. Those of you guys who watch the news, you know the oceans are dying. You know Fukushima continues to just literally pour out deadly radiation Thousands and thousands of gallons a day. Those those reactive cores went into total meltdown. They went into the water table. And all that water that they pumped out and put in those storage tanks, those tanks are already decomposing and rupturing. The oceans are dying. The fish are dying. You know, if you read the details, they try to hide this stuff from the general public, but they... The fishing quotas, the catch numbers are collapsing. The birds are dying. The whole world, now you know, the starfish are all disintegrating. The radiation levels, go watch the data online. The radiation levels, if you get in an airplane and you fly across the United States, the radiation levels in the upper atmosphere, you get above 30,000 feet. You know, these radiation levels where normal would be a reading of 20 to 30 Becquerels, you're at like 1,500, 2,000, 3,000. This is all this radiation that came out of the nuclear disaster in Fukushima. It's circling the world now in the jet stream. The glyphosates, we, we are pumping or or pouring or spraying, I think it's 8 million pounds of glyphosate every year. And it, it, This is a water-soluble... Uh, antibiotic. It kills all, you know, bio-life. And only 1% gets on the plants. 99% goes into the soil and into the water table. It's ubiquitous. It's water-soluble. It's in the water. There's so much of it that it's measurable in the atmosphere at the mouth of the Mississippi River. The air in New Orleans is actually dangerous because it's full of a pesticide. And glyphosate as a chelation blocking chemical interrupts the RNA replication of four essential amino acids. Think of amino acids as the building blocks of life similar to the letters in an alphabet. And you know you're trying to communicate using a language. You know, let's say I'm trying to write a book. only now I'm going to lose five letters. I can't use the letter O or E, or S, or B, because they've been destroyed by glyphosate. How well am I going to write this book? It's not going to work. People are slowly dying from the inside. We are nutritionally starving to death. And it's happening right before our eyes. Economically, the expansion, the recovery, whatever you want to call it, this thing that happened following the 2009 financial crisis, it was a joke. It was a huge, massive Ponzi scheme where the central banks engaged in this massive monetization or money printing program that they called quantitative easing. And in the process, we doubled the national debt from 10 to $20 trillion. And the liberals and the fools will tell you that it doesn't matter. But the Bible tells you that the debtor is a slave to the creditor. And so we've been brought into debt slavery. And then you look at the military situation. It is simply unbelievable. There was a recent report issued. I don't know why it, it came out without a date on it, but it was issued by this group called the National Defense Strategy Commission, and they made the statement that the U.S. military, this is an executive summary com- content, comment, rather, the report itself is like 100 pages or something, but the summary comment was the U.S. military could suffer unacceptably high casualties and the loss of major assets. You know, let me translate that. Millions of our soldiers and our seamen and our Air Force soldiers are going to die and we're going to lose major capital assets, our Navy will be sunk, our military base is destroyed, and most of our military assets are going to be annihilated. In the next major conflict, we might struggle to win or even lose a war against either Russia or China. We are particularly at risk of being overwhelmed should we be forced to fight on two or more fronts.
0: Benjamin, In did you see the report? we wish to be... Um, Pardon? Did you see the report the other day that just came out on the World News about our – it was the Green Berets were exposed for lowering their standards so that they could try to get women into special forces, and they were saying basically they're totally unprepared now. And it really frustrates me because I was in the Marines back when men were men, and uh, we we fought like men, and we acted like men. And uh, we actually – Yeah. And so the women didn't train with the men. We trained separately. And, uh, so, you know, it's, and I'm not against, I love women, you know, if it wasn't for a woman, I wouldn't be here today. My wife takes care of me. But the fact is they're doing it. They're ruining, feminizing, unfortunately to my sad heart, uh, our military.
2: Yeah, indeed they are brother. And, uh, it's, it's kind of pathetic. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, this whole idea of, you know, making men and women the same. And, and now, you know, gender is sort of an election. It's like an option. When you buy a new car, you know, what color do you want, right? Do you want the, the high-powered stereo, or, you know, do you want an automatic, or do you want a, a manual transmission? Well, when you're when you're born, now it's like, well, what sex do you want to be? And we can change you. You know, and and, and transgenderism is like the, the new rage in college campuses, the teenage girls are going off to college in record numbers. They're coming home. They've had their breasts removed. They're on male hormone therapy. They're now they've got a beard. They're shaving. They they buzz their head, and they want to be men. They want to be a man, you know. And at the same time, a lot of these you know crazy feminists they really hate men, and then they want to turn into one. So, you know, the confusion of sin. You know, sin brings brings confusion upon a people our country's lost its mind and in addition to the military being effectively rendered non-functional if you will incapable of actually fighting um, we're facing an enemy that's literally got us outgunned Frank are you familiar with the um, Center for Security Policy that they issued um, a report or an article in October of last year where they They had quotes from a document, a Russian defense document, that had been captured. And in it, it outlined a plan for Pearl Harbor 2.0, in which the Russians, and with cooperation from their allies, the communist powers, were developing a plan to sink the entire U.S. Navy in a worldwide coordinated attack, sinking all of our ships in port all over the world in a single afternoon. Yes. Using the combination of their uh, caliber cruise missiles and hypersonic missiles. And so, you know, here our enemies are, are working on a, an upgraded version of Pearl Harbor, where instead of just attacking the naval base in Pearl, they're just going to attack every single naval base.
1: Sink yeah, the entire
2: fleet. How about burn the whole nation in an hour? Yeah. And, and, and all we're the trying
0: to, will... Yeah, we're trying to send the first pink brigade in to fight our wars. Anyways, I'll stop there.
2: Well, you know, it does say in Jeremiah 50 um that the people had become like women. That, you know, the men of Babylon had turned into women. And it's literally being fulfilled, you know, you got you got transgender people who, you know, men that were Olympic athletes that now want to be women. And so the men are turning into women and the women are turning into men, and our country's gone insane. And you know, some people think we got another 10 or 20 years. They're dreaming. We don't got 10 or 20 months. Well, we may have 10, but life as we know it's going to change, and it's going to change relatively quickly. America is unprepared for what's about to happen. Our nation has never been ready to fight a nuclear war. In fact, we've never prepared for one either. Think about it, Frank. We have no bomb shelters. There is no civil defense education. There are no war preparation drills. Our nation relies on a single defensive strategy, and that's you know the theory of mutually assured destruction, or known by its acronym MAD. We you know we were taught that you know there there could never be a nuclear war because we would respond by annihilating anyone that would dare attack us, and so the threat of a nuclear attack on America was considered as impossible. But the American people, nobody bothered to tell them that the defense theory on which our entire national defense stands is actually a relic from the Cold War era of the 1950s. And viewed in light of today's modern military weapons and the changing balance of military power, the MAD theory should be better described as insane. And on what yeah. we don't realize is that we're, we're outgunned now.
0: It, we are not even one, ten, one thousandth of the percent as prepared as they were in the 50s. They actually built bomb shelters. We've got them around where I live. I do computer work all over. I know places that have them from the 50s. Today, it's like, don't worry about it. You know, the threat's not real. It's all virtual. It doesn't matter. I'll go onto my Facebook,
2: forget about it.
0: You know, they were actually well, better prepared even back then, which is not good enough, but we've we've right, lost sight. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and what we don't realize is, you know, in 1991, about 20 years ago at this point, the or maybe 30 years ago, actually, fix my math there, we allegedly won the Cold War. You know, that's what they told us. We were going to get this big peace dividend, which turned into the war on terrorism and the loss of our freedoms, but... You know, bait and switch, right? Hey, here's your peace dividend. Now we're going to stick, let me put my plastic glove down your private parts when you try to get on an airplane. That was the peace dividend. And at the end of this 30-year period of time, our enemies emerge with brand-new fifth-generation weapons in in, in our military, essentially obsolete. All of our assets are, are aged and they're dated. And, you know, the thing that... They don't really advertise, and they don't really talk about it much because they don't want to talk about it. It's too embarrassing, but our nuclear deterrent is basically a bunch of old, antiquated warheads that were built back in the 80s. You know, our newest stuff is 25, 26 years old, 27 years old. The shelf life based on engineering calculations is basically depending on which estimate you use somewhere between 15 and even 20 years our leading experts in this field believe that up to 90% of our warheads are duds now and so if you run the metrics of you, you take you know we've been seriously disarmed under Obama's you know anti-nuclear stance i don't have the exact number of uh, launch vehicles or bombers or whatever, but if you, know, if you take our current capability, let's say we've got the ability to deliver 2,000 of these uh, obsolete warheads, but if you assume a, a first strike on U.S. forces, it's not unreasonable to think only 200 of those would survive. Unless, if you assume 200 will survive, and so we get off 200, um, 200 warheads are delivered either through ICBM or... Um, or through um, the air wings, the Russians have 12,000 ABM missiles. They're going to knock out 90% of those. So 20 of them get through. Okay, 90% of them are duds. All right, so we successfully detonate two warheads over two Russian military installations. Russia has annihilated the U.S. military, has uh, probably destroyed the U.S. economy, and has destroyed a huge segment of the U.S. population and has essentially, you know, checkmated the world militarily at the cost of two military bases being destroyed. They lost more people in a single day in Stalingrad fighting Hitler than they're going to lose in World War III. And that's how bad it is. You know, the ironic thing, Frank, are you familiar with the electronic rail gun? Yes, I just saw you know, the new, new the new super that. weapon that we came up yes. with. Yes, mm-hmm. this is a really high tech device. It uses electrical energy to accelerate a 25 pound projectile, like a big lead bullet, and it accelerates it in ten millionths of a second to about Mach eight, approximately you know something like five six thousand miles an hour, and it. Projects it out 100, 100-plus 100 miles an hour in distance. Because of the super high velocity, it's traveling with the kinetic energy of a freight train. It destroys anything it hits. It doesn't have an ordinance. There's no, there's no uh, detonation. It's just literally kinetic force. We developed it. You know, it's an amazing weapon. We are scheduled to begin putting them on our warships in three to five years. The Chinese Navy just launched a ship with an exact copy of our railgun. They stole it from us. They've already produced it. They're putting it on their warships. We developed it, and they've already got it. Years ahead of us. You know, the truth is, you know, if you really, really want to know, um, you know, go read Jeremiah 50 and 51. And you know what? And, and be a Berean. And read it really carefully, because, you know, it's all in there, folks. I'll just read to you Jeremiah 50, verse 24 and 25. I laid a snare for you. Remember what we talked about in Proverbs? There's no point in laying a snare if the people see the snare. The Lord laid a snare for America Babylon. And you are taken, he said. And you were not aware. You didn't see the snare. American people don't know. They're already done. This is over, people. Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, who does a lot of publishing on this subject, is one of the nation's experts. He wakes up in the morning and he wonders why we're still here. It's that far gone. It's only a question of when they're ready to do this. And there's no catching up. There's no way that we're going to turn the window around. But the Lord said, I laid a snare for you, and you were not aware. You've been found, and you've been caught, because you have strived against the Lord. We gave, this nation gave the Lord grief. And he goes on, he says, the Lord has opened his armory, and he's brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans, in the land of the Satanists, in the land of the sorcerers, in the land of the deep state. In the land that literally strove and and literally rebelled and and threw off the word of God and said, no, we're going to have our own way. The Lord says, I've opened up my armory. You ought to see what the Lord produced. The weapons that are in the hands of the armies of the Lord; these are the weapons of His indignation. And that word, you guys, I'm, I'm going to jump to the text and give you the exact word. We're in Jeremiah 50:25, and I'm just going to open the word here real quick, and let me grab to you that word for indignation is za'am, and it means to froth at the mouth. It means the fury of anger and rage. Okay, this is slightly more than upset, all right? This is more than angry. This is more than furious. This is, I am boiling over mad. This is as mad as you can get, okay? Infinite fury. The Lord's indignation. These are the weapons of his indignation, and this is the work of the Lord. God Almighty, Adonai, Tisbaot, the God of armies, has created an army, and he's opened an armory, and he has developed weapons you would not believe, and in one hour, in one hour, it's going to be over. And then the people will you know, go you, weeping.
0: You know, Benjamin, the the Bible says, you know talks about the Lord getting so mad that literally smoke comes from his nostrils. I oh, mean, yeah. the imagery yeah. is... Unbelievable. And that's it's when serious. they were messing with David. Okay, I mean so you you talk about their messing first they messed with his son, it's personal. And you know the and, and they mess with his children and the, the remnant at the end the Lord's coming back and it's deadly, serious. And when he's fired yeah. up, you better look out.
2: Yeah, he's he's coming with the full Monty. Yeah. And you know, this is like you know, look what he says in verse twenty six, come against her from the uttermost border, open her storehouse, cast her up as heaps, destroy her utterly, let nothing of her be left. What's gonna be left? Nothing. How much will be left? Well you know, um I know someone that bought a beautiful beach house on you know, million dollar beach house as a rental, and you know, it's gonna make a lot of money. Uh huh. <laughs> Until it's reduced to cinders, until it's reduced to ashes, let nothing be left. Slay all of her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day has come, and the time of their visitation, and the voice of those who flee and escape out of the land of America, Babylon, to declare in Zion. Where are they going? To Zion. Why are they going to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord? Our God and the vengeance of his temple, you know, call together the archers, call together the mighty men against Babylon, verse 29, all you that bend the bow, everyone with a weapon, call them to come. Camp against her, round about, you know, and the Democrats want to make sure there's no wall on that border. Don't even slow them down. Let none escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done, do unto her, for she has been proud against the Lord. This nation has been arrogant, even against God, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and her men of war will be cut off. All of her men of war. All of her armies, all of her navies, all of her ships, all of the men, all of the women, all the pink, green berets, all the men and women of war will be cut off in that day, in a single day. And when is that day? After America has ruled for 70 years. Uh, That would put the world war somewhere in the fall of 2019 to the fall of 2020. And now we have a government shutdown. The most proud shall stumble and fall. Okay? That's going to precede the war. Okay? Once it's been utterly vaporized and nothing has been left, okay? The war happens in one hour, in one day. These are the metaphors. It's going to be internet time, you guys, right? A New York minute, bang, it's over. But once it's over, she can't stumble and fall, right? She's got to stumble and fall. First, and none will raise her up, raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. And the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. The people of God have been oppressed, but their Redeemer is strong. Hallelujah. Our Redeemer is strong, you guys. We are facing an unprecedented problem. No generation has ever been confronted with what we are about to be confronted with. But the Lord reminds us in Jeremiah 50, verse 34, your Redeemer is strong, and the Lord of hosts is his name. He will thoroughly plead your cause, that he may give rest to the land of, of his people, but disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. And so, you know, here we are. We're at the tipping point. When is this going to happen? In the next My guess, you know, and you can dismiss me because I already guessed wrong. But, you know, if you look at the sum total of the the message that I've brought, you know, if you take the time to read all five books I've published, and if you haven't read Day of the Lord, I would encourage you, it's about to be revised. The seventh edition will be printed a second time, and a new version is going to be up on Amazon within... I don't know, Frank. What do you think? <laughs> how how quickly can we get this book updated? I'm going to actually need Frank's help after the program tonight because the enemy and the is making it almost impossible to to upload a new the um, new text for the for the manuscript of the book for the interior of the book and um, it's been updated for 2019. Now, some of my critics would say the fact that that the message the Lord gave me has been revised over the last 20 years, disqualifies me because there's seven editions of this book, and therefore clearly you would never want to read a book that's had more than one edition, right? Except for this book has been kept current relative to the events that have occurred in the world for the last 20 years. So, you know, the critics of, of the message that the Lord gave me are really just mockers and scorners. And for those of you who've read the book... And you, you know the value of this word, and for those of you that have read the, out, the book Out of the Darkness, you know how much that book changed your life. It changed my life. I've read it like five times. I'm still blown away by the word that the Lord brought forth. I'm just a scribe, guys. I'm not, I'm not the one uh, doing this.
0: Yeah, and, and folks, you've got to be clear when you read. Benjamin, there's very few times since I've ever known you that you ever say, thus saith the Lord. And you've been consistent ever since I've known you since 1999. That same things the Lord said, you've never deviated or changed. But folks, because the Bible said who will discern, working out the math, that's Benjamin's calculations, you know, led by God's Spirit, but that's not... Always, though prophetic, there is a, it takes time. The Lord doesn't reveal everything at once. That's not prophet. That's not like this major false prophet who just said the Lord showed me that Trump's going to win big. You know, that's that's prophecy. You're saying that the Lord told me this. That's different than working no, through I'm calculations. No, I'm
2: saying that that we were told to study this. Exactly. And when you put the answers of the scripture together, the parable of the fig tree is revealed in Psalm 90, and the authority for that is in Psalm 49, and it tells us a generation shall be 70 or 80 years. And so there's the puzzle. Now go figure it out. And, you know, as you work on the puzzle, the longer you work on it, the clearer the answer becomes. And maybe we still don't. You know, maybe this thing goes on another year. You know, okay, great. Are you ready? What if it doesn't? You know, I can tell you, you know, my my little life is kind of like a barometer of the Spirit. Okay? And, you know, um, God did that. I had nothing to do with that. The Lord did that. You know, and he spoke audibly to me, and I'm not bearing false witness. I'd be turning around as he was talking to me. There'd be nobody standing there. And, you know, I I didn't come to lie to you. And I didn't come to sell you a book to try to make $5. Okay? You know, I I actually came to try to save the children. If you want to know the truth, that's why I came. I've seen what's coming. I've been there. I know what we're facing. You know what? And it's maybe we, this generation, you know, the generation of his wrath, maybe we're so pig-headed and so full of pride, we need to be purified in the fire. You know, And, and if that is so, then praise God for doing what is required to make us ready for the wedding feast. And if we have to, you know, go through the persecution that is coming in order to make us ready to enter the kingdom then thank god for his mercy and grace because what's coming isn't going to last long and Amen. then it'll be over forever and then we're going to be with the lord Amen. and even you know even the martyrs get a crown of glory for not for not denying the lord but you know i got to tell you guys it just really upsets me to think of the little kids going through the same process, okay? I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't, you know, that I'm hard-hearted about the adults, but look, you know, those of us that are mature believers and, you know, and, and we've been around a long time, We, you know, y'all should have known better, okay? Y'all should have done your homework, You should have been Bereans. You should have been fasting and praying. You should have turned off that Babylonian TV 30 years ago when David Wilkerson told you to turn it off. You should have gotten rid of that satanic rock and roll music. You should have put those drugs down. You should have quit those cigarettes. You should have stopped all that nonsense in the flesh. But you didn't do it, did you? No, most of you continued to compromise. I know. I did it, too. We all did. That's how we got here. Okay? That's how this happened. That's how the church let the kundalini devil in, and people thought it was the anointing. That's how the false prophets came in, these knuckleheads that taught all these false perversions of the gospel, the prosperity gospel, guys riding around in $50 million jets. Are you kidding me? And much of the church believed it because there was this great falling away from the truth. Okay, it happened for a reason, and it happened on our watch.
0: Four for minutes, most Benjamin. of us,
2: it happened to us. Yeah, four minutes. And long. so maybe you know the fact that we're now gonna you know we now get the great tribulation. Okay. We get the Judgment of America, Babylon, and then we get the final seven years of history, and we get the events of the Great Tribulation. And after all of this, we get to go to heaven? Count yourself blessed with immeasurable blessings because the wicked are headed for hell. And it's worse than you can imagine, and it makes what we're about to suffer look like a, a Girl Scout jamboree. And, you know, the thing that upsets me the, the one passion that's just in my heart, I really want to save the little kids if I can. I do not want yes. them going through this. I, the little innocent children, I'm thinking they should get redeemed. I'm thinking the Lord should, you know, that we should intervene and those little kids should get protected. And I think they should be gathered safely together into the wilderness that, where the woman will be protected, where the little kids can be protected. And I think they should be playing soccer during the Great Tribulation, and not even know what's happening to the world.
0: And so, Brother Benjamin, thank you so much for that. God bless you and uh, for coming on here. And folks, this is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin on the Remnant Call, saying to everybody, good night and shalom.